Good morning. Good to see all of you. How you doing? Pretty good, huh? Everybody awake, wide awake, ready to go? You only lost an hour. So, hey, as we get started today, I'm thinking of an experience that really relates to what I'll be talking to you about. And that is when I was a young pastor, um, brand new there was this family that came into a relationship with Jesus Christ. They're excited about their relationship with Jesus Christ, and they uh, were getting involved in the church, and then they moved, and they, they were moving away. And so they came to me, and they said, Ron, how can we find another healthy church like yours? I didn't tell them that our church wasn't healthy. <laughs> it's kind of hard to have a healthy church, you know, but we want to all work towards being a healthy church. But, I, you know, we had our problems, but I said, well... Let me see. And I thought about it, and I gave them another sermon. See, they'd already had one, so I gave them another. I mean, I must have talked for a half hour trying to explain to them how to do this. And it's amazing because in today's passage, uh, we're looking at the first long letter or epistle that Paul, the great missionary apostle and statesman, wrote to his protege, Timothy, um, the first epistle to Timothy. And if you look at chapter 3, which we will today, um, verses 14 through 16, in three verses... Paul succinctly describes the character of a healthy church. It took me a half hour. And he just says it all. Now, we're going to develop it more, but that's basically what we're going to be looking at today because not only do we want to be able to say, this is the kind of church you should go to, but we should want to be that church, right? So what is that church? Well, We're going to look at that because we're going through this series on, we're going right through that letter, uh, the first epistle to Timothy. And so we've been going through it and we're learning that Timothy is a young pastor and Paul is saying, these are instructions for you to follow as a pastor of a church. And these are really instructions to follow as a church as a whole. And he starts off and he says, we've got some people that don't have a lot of character and they've disqualified themselves. And so we need to remove them. And then we need to find leaders who have character, who have qualified themselves. And then he sort of reflects and he says, well, you know what? A church has to have character too. And if I think about it, you know, he kind of says, this is what a church ought to look like. So we're going to look today at the character of a healthy church. You ready? So we'll go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we'll be looking at verses 14 through the beginning of verse 15. And it reads this. Paul's writing, he says, Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God. So Paul's writing, and he's a long ways away. You may recall that he's in Macedonia. Macedonia is present-day Greece. And he's writing to Timothy, and do you remember what town Timothy's in? Ephesus, thank you. There we go. Good job, Jonathan. Um, so he's in, he's in Ephesus, and Ephesus is in modern-day Turkey. So he's a Turkey. Um, what would you be? What are you? You're Turkish and whatever. So he's Turkish, and he's in modern-day Turkey. And that's a long ways away. Paul wants to come visit him, but he can't just, you know, send him a message on email or, or send him a, a text. They didn't have that. And so he has to write them a letter. It's going to take a while for the letter to get there. He can't really get there really easily because the main mode of transportation is walking. That's a long ways to go. Even taking a ship is going to be hard to get there. So he says, I don't know when it's going to be, so 
I'm just going to pass this information on to you. And he, what he says essentially is, I'm writing these instructions. If you cut out that part, if I am delayed, I'm writing these instructions so you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in church. Very similar to what he said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. I'm writing this letter, and what's the purpose? So that you know how you should conduct yourself as a pastor and how the people in your church ought to conduct themselves as a church. So please follow my instructions. So the first thing we're going to see here is that the character of a healthy church is that a healthy church follows instructions. And he begins to describe a church here. He says it's God's household. He says it is the church of the living God. God is alive and well. And this church belongs to him. And he supernaturally put together the church. The church, the word for church in Greek is ekklesia. And the word basically means a gathering, a fellowship, um, an assembly of people. Like, you know what would be similar to is our state assembly. It was used a lot for that for an assembly of politicians or a group of people. Well, they just kept saying, we're the fellowship, we're the assembly, we're the gathering. And they kept using that word over and over and over again until it became the word that described the church. And then Martin Luther, who was German, um, changed somehow, I don't know how you get this, but he translated ecclesia into Kirk. And so we got out of that church. I don't know, go figure. But that, so we're the church today. And so the church is a name that means all those other things. But what's significant here is the church is actually God's household. Literally, it says that it's God's house. But most translators will change it to household. Why do you think that is so? What might be a confusion if you call it God's house? People think it's a building, right? And if that's the case, we're in a lot of trouble. I'm just saying, this isn't, this isn't really a building. We don't stay here very often, okay? So it's really, for us, it truly is not about a building. And it shouldn't be about a building. It's about a household. And the idea of the language there, and as we find elsewhere, is we're a family. In Romans chapter 8, it actually says that God adopts us as his children. In chapter 8, verses 15 through 17, that when we come into a relationship with God, we are spiritually adopted as his children. So that means the people you're sitting with that truly know the Lord are really your brothers and sisters in Christ. And spiritually speaking, they, can, they have a deeper connection with you than you would have with somebody who is a blood relative who doesn't know Christ. Have you ever thought of that? You'll spend eternity with these people, and they have that kind of relationship with you. And so God says that's the kind of relationship that you're supposed to have with one another. And, 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 or Paul says that, and Paul you know, he actually models that in his relationship with Timothy. Now, <clears throat> I told you last week, I'm, I'll use this. Uh, I, I'll use it a couple times and I'll get tired of it probably. But I still, I had such a good time at my high school wrestling reunion. I went there. I went there. I mean, I had so much fun. I hadn't seen these guys for so long. By the way, Nico Colongo, he's not here. We'll have to tell him next week, took sixth place in the state of California at 113 pounds. And he goes to our church and he stood up at the end and he said, Go Mountain View Church. No, he didn't do that. But <laughs> yeah, you remember how they do? I'm going to Disneyland. I'm going to Mountain View. Um, but but he did really well. I never did that well. But it was fun seeing these guys. And here's here's the thing that I realized: whenever you go to a reunion like that, you have certain elements. You have people that have worked very hard together to achieve certain goals. And they, in our case, we did well. And so it was a great time to come back and remember each other. And because you'd worked so hard together, there's a sense of camaraderie and even, I would say, brotherhood. 
you know, you, you, there's a sense, and I thought about that. I never really thought of it as much this way before, but I thought there is a sense of family here. And the instructors for us were our coaches. One of them, he used to beat me up all the time. He's a great big guy, and he now walks around with a cane. And I went up to him, and I said, I bet I could beat you now. I told him that. <laughs> and he said, I bet you could, but I moved out of the way quick because he had the cane. <laughs> and I knew him too well. Um, but, but the thing is, is they instructed us from the things that others instructed them. And we listened. Some of the guys still call these coaches up for advice. In almost any reunion you have, you have a group of people who have done something together. They have something in common. They get together. There's a sense of brotherhood you know, familyhood, and there's usually somebody who is the teacher, the coach, the leader, and that's how it works. Have you ever thought about that? And in, in our situation, the church is a big church. I mean, in one sense, the church is universal. Anybody who's in a relationship with Jesus Christ truly knows him as part of the church. But then there's the local church. There's us, our immediate family. Others are cousins, if you will, but we're the immediate family represented right here, and there's visitors and things among us, but we're a family, and we take care of each other. And our job is to instruct, but we have others that are instructing us, and primarily our instruction comes from God in the Bible. But if you can imagine how close people can come over a period of time uh, in the relationships that you have in reunions, imagine how close we will be in the years to come, even as a young church, how close we already are as we grow as family together and take care of all the different issues in people's lives, take care of each other as a church. Now, in order to do this and to do it well, we need to follow instructions, okay? So where are those instructions from? We said they're from the Bible. Well, are there instructions about how a church ought to run in the Bible? Or is that something we are left to make up? There's not, you know, it's not always specifics, but there's a lot of general stuff, and there are some specific things about churches. You can go to the back of a study Bible, and you can look up the indices, or you can look up the concordance, you can look up the name church, and you can study church on your own if you want. A lot of times, it's just descriptions about how people did things, and it's not really, we don't have to do it. But there are things that are really there. One of the best books for telling you how to do church is the book that we're looking at here, the letter we're looking at here, 1 Timothy. So let's just take a look at it. How are we doing? What does he instruct them to do? First thing he says is you're to confront conflicts. You're to try to bring peace in relationships with one another. Are we doing that? We've had a lot of conflicts. We've had a lot of problems. Since, no, we haven't had a lot of problems. We're kind of new, aren't we? So we shouldn't have that many conflicts. But we've had a few little things that have popped up here and there, and people have been very cooperative and have worked together, and we've brought peace. And you know what happens is you get closer to people when you work through that. If you do it in a healthy manner and everybody works together, you get closer. So that's something we want to continue to be very, very much a part of our church. A church should be a church that prays. I hope you're praying for us. We pray for you. Um, we take those cards seriously. When you fill out something, you want us to pray for you. I did it. I'm actually right-handed. So when you want us to, to pray for you, you write it down and you send it in, then we pray for you. Last Wednesday, we had a day of prayer and fasting. We set aside the day to pray. And for lunchtime, um, we as pastors prayed, and, and Randy Carter was able to join us. He's one of the, on, our, um, um, on our pastor's advisory team. And we prayed for about two hours. And we had a wonderful time praying for this church and praying for you. Prayer is really important. You know, you can pray for us because what we're doing is we're leaving today right after this service, and the four pastors are going down to Fresno 
just a vacation and just enjoy the sun. No. Um, <laughs> not in Fresno. Um, but what we... <laughs> there's a place called The Well, and it's actually... Um, says a lot about Fresno. No, it's, it's called The Well, and it's a, it's a church. And it's done very, very well. And we're going there because it's very similar to our church and its model. And they actually invited us to come and spend two days. Actually, three. We're, we're coming home Tuesday night. So pray that we learn a lot, and that's a great time that we continue to grow in our relationship with each other. Pray for our wives and kids as they're behind, and especially we have um, some mothers of a lot of little kids and one who's pregnant, so pray for them, and that it would really be a good time for us that we continue to grow in our relationship with the Lord. Another area is qualifications for leadership. We need to make sure that our leaders have character, and that's something that's very important to us and something we've emphasized that we're trying to work on. We've talked about that the last couple weeks. Jesus, it's interesting. Remember what Jesus did to train people? How many years did it take him to train his disciples? About three years, and he took, I mean, he took his time, and he didn't just teach them academics. He taught them about life. We want to find ways to train our leaders in such a way. Um, in Acts chapter 2, the church was so big, it followed another example of Jesus. They broke down into home groups and small groups, and they took care of each other. And that's the core of a group. If you're not in a small group, we encourage you to get in one because that's where you build your relationships and where you get tight with people and where you really experience that, that familyness with one another. And that's ultimately what it is, is we want to be a family. So these are areas that we're growing in, but I encourage you to pray for us that we continue to grow in these things because that's a healthy church. We'll follow those instructions. Healthy church also supports the truth. At the end of that same verse, it says um, that the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. So the church, you know how pillar, it, it holds things up, right? And the foundation... It, it lays the foundation so things don't fall over. It wants to support something. In this case, it supports the truth. Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 16, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So he is the truth. So we need to do, obviously, what he says. What is said in the Bible needs to be practiced in the church in terms of what we teach, in terms of how we practice what we teach. So if you go to a church and they say, we do not believe that Jesus is God, that's kind of, that's sort of strange these days, that's sort of narrow. We believe there's lots of ways to get to heaven. And you don't have to believe that he's God. We don't believe that necessarily people are sinful. Maybe we've done some things wrong, but people are basically born good. And, you know, and then there's just problems in life. If you hear those kinds of things, those don't really agree with the Bible. So they would be opposite of what the Bible teaches, and that would not be healthy. It's not teaching the truth. Um, or you could go to a church, and, and I did this one time. I went to a church, and this is tr the true story. The pastor was speaking about how we should make laws to make it okay for um, senior citizens to cohabitate in um, convalescent hospitals. That was his sermon. Now, if you hear something like that, you say, something's missing here in this church. <laughs> Or is it a church? Nice building, but something wasn't right there. Or you can go to the other side of the pendulum where you have people say you have to, you know, comb your hair in such a place. You have to part your hair, which I can't do anymore in such a place. You know, you have to wear a tie, a suit, a, you know, a dress or whatever, and they have all these rules and regulations. So you see the extremes. Now, 
The Bible leaves a lot of room for differences on how we do certain things in government. And, and there are going to be differences of opinions on different theological things that really don't matter. But when it comes to the core beliefs of our faith, they need to be there or there's a problem. Likewise, even if you're teaching what is right on paper, but you're not practicing it, if there's a lack of integrity, you're not withholding the truth, are you? So those things are all really important. One good thing to look for in teaching, you know, in small groups or even when I speak to you, is that when you have the truth, that it, the truth is given to you in a way that you can grow and learn from it. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, he says that all Scripture, all the Bible is God-breathed. All the Bible is supernatural. We don't always talk about that enough. This Bible is a supernatural book. And what it says is true. We need to take it for what it says and we need to apply it to our lives. He says all Scripture is God-breathed. And he says it's profitable for teaching, telling us things, but also for rebuking us and correcting us to show us what we've done wrong and how we can change and then training us to be righteous people. Isn't that cool? That's what the Bible's there for. So when you hear me speak or when you're in a Bible study or when you're at your home by yourself and you're reading your Bible, you ought to be saying, what am I learning today? What am I maybe doing wrong? How can I correct it? And how can I grow in my personal relationship with God? We need to, to learn the truth and we need to uphold the truth in our own lives. And then the last thing he says is that a healthy church reveals the truth. Um, in verse 16, he starts off and he says, beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. Does that make a lot of sense to you? It, it doesn't at first. You have to kind of understand what he was saying. It was kind of a colloquialism of the time. Um, so he says, beyond all question is really confessedly, or, or in other words, by consensus. Everybody agrees that the central message of the Bible is this. It is that the mystery of godliness is great. Literally in Greek, it's the mystery of God is great. What in the world is the mystery? Do you remember last week we talked about mysterion? Mysterion is the word we get mystery from. And in those days, it was used as a secret. A secret that was only made known to the initiates. In other words, you have a secret club and only the people in the club know the secret handshake. Yeah, right? And that's how it was. And you could not know unless you were in. And there was a religious movement that later became Gnosticism and these little groups that called themselves the mystery religions. We know about God, but you don't. We know the secret. But if you come into our church and we make you part of us now, you can know the secret too. And Paul's kind of mocking that. And he says, the secret veiled for centuries is the message of Jesus Christ. And now it's time to proclaim it from the mountaintops. No more secret. And this is the central message of the faith. And he goes on to explain what we call the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ in a very um, poetic fashion. In fact, in the Greek language, this is so lyrical that we believe that this was a song. Paul either wrote or, or had several songs that he would refer to, and it happens, it pops up several times in his letters. So we have the songs, we've lost the melodies, but we still have the words. And these words are there in poetry to help us understand more clearly 
um, what the Bible teaches. So I'd say another thing to look for in a church, another thing to look for in a church is that you have good music. That you, melody doesn't matter because they throw that out anyway. So just get up now. If melody matters, it was probably, you know, melody would be important, but the words, of course, are the most important thing, right? doesn't matter if you're, you know, the guy who leads you is short or not. <laughs> Mitch always makes his short jokes. No, but, but Mitch does a great job at this because what Mitch does, if you notice, is it's not about them performing, but it's about us singing and looking at the words. And a lot of times, if you notice that, even as I end today, the words of the songs will tie into the message that I gave and the passage that I was speaking on. So you can think about it and, and, kind of, and it works into you afterwards. And so that's what we try to do here. So that's part of it. Now let's look at the, the message itself. He says he, literally God, and we know he's talking about Jesus because what he describes is Jesus. So we see again this, this time of, he's saying Jesus and God are supernaturally co-equal. Uh, Jesus is God. He says God appeared in a body. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by the angels, was preached among the nations was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. God appeared in a body or in the flesh. He appeared, and the word for appeared is he was made visible. Now think about that. Jesus eternally existed. There was never a time when he did not exist. He is the eternal, infinite God of the universe. He is that powerful and awesome. And yet, we could not see him. Even as we don't see God, we did not see Jesus. He may have appeared a few times at different points throughout the Old Testament, but essentially, he was invisible. And suddenly, he was made visible to us because God became man. The language here that's used is actually the word that in Latin, if we take the Latin translation and translate it into English, it's the word we get for incarnation. You ever hear the word incarnation? Somebody says, that's my favorite flower. Um, <laughs> it's actually, it's just, it's just a fancy word that means God became a man. God in the universe supernaturally was planted into a woman's womb. The woman named Miriam, or Mary as we say, gave birth to a baby who was therefore the son of God, but was also the son of man. The unique, supernatural, 100% God, 100% man being. Isn't that incredible when you think about that? How many of you saw the Son of God? You guys see that? It's pretty good. I, I, I saw it yesterday. I was sick last week. I wanted to see it. I wasn't feeling well. Some, I know some folks went down to see it, but it was good. I thought there was some, I liked the portrayal of Peter. You know, that was kind of good. There were other things I, I liked. I thought there were some good perspectives. Some of the biblical chronology and history, not real accurate, but, uh, you know, Hollywood does that. But the central message was good. I'd say it's a good thing to take people to. Maybe somebody that doesn't go to church might want to go check that out. There, there were some interesting things in it. Um, but as we look at this, that's the whole message. Jesus is the Son of God. And then it says he was vindicated by the Spirit. Vindicated means he was justified. It was proved that he was who he was. Um, in in uh, Matthew chapter 12, Verse 28, it says that the Holy Spirit was the one who enabled Jesus to cast out demons. In Romans chapter 1, verse 4, and in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, it says the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. 
there is this interaction between God, the Father, God, the Holy Spirit, God, the, the Son, to work together to enable Jesus to perform the miracles that he performed. Jesus performed miracles. He really did do some spectacular things, including rising from the dead. The point is, is those vindicated his claims. So if somebody comes forward today, you know, it's March Madness, and they say, the big basketball, college basketball tournament is be about to begin, and we're going to win it all. We are going to win it all. How do they vindicate their claims? They better win it all. If they don't win at all, they're just blowing hot air, right? Jesus made the same claims. Jesus said, I'm God. I am the God, the Son of God, uniquely come to earth. He better be able to back it up. Did he back it up? I would challenge anybody to read the scriptures, to read the gospels, to read the life of Jesus, and to read it closely and carefully and see what it would do to you. See if you can... Go ahead and try to disprove his claims. People have tried for centuries and never been able to. When you come face to face with who he is, I'm convinced if you truly are sincere, it'll transform your life. And so he says this about Jesus. And then he says he was seen by angels and was preached among the nations. Spiritual beings observed him and human beings heard his message. And even afterwards, they continued to preach the message of Jesus. That message you know, has been preached to the nations or the non-Jews and beyond. You know, it's the fastest growing religion in history, the largest religion that the world has ever known. Have you ever heard the Back to Jerusalem movement? Have you ever heard of that? Well, the gospel has always turned to move to the West, you know, so it's gone, you know, to Europe and then to the United States and it's gone around to Asia. And now in China, there's a movement, there's all these thousands of um, Chinese that are on the border that are waiting to get across because they want to pour into the Middle East and bring the gospel back all the way around to Jerusalem, the Back to Jerusalem movement. Isn't that powerful? It's an incredible thing that's happened starting with one man over the last 2,000 years. So it was preached among the nations. And here we, we go, you know, we look at it from this perspective in Philippians chapter 2, verse 10. It says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess in heaven, the angels, and on earth, the human beings. Everybody. So we better make sure we're right with God. Are we doing the things that he says? Do we really believe the Bible is true? Are we really following what he teaches? Um, do we really see that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? And, and that's the message, you know, that that message is the message that changes. If people believe in this message, it will transform their lives. John chapter 1 verse 2 says, as many as Yet as many as received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You want to be his child? You want to be in personal relationship with the king of the universe? You can. But it comes when you surrender your life to him. You believe in him, and believe is not just an intellectual assent. Oh, I, I think I know this is true, but it's I give my life to him. And that's where it begins. And what happens? Where does it end for us? Same place it ended for him. This last verse says, he was taken up into glory. Jesus went to heaven, to a place that's beyond human imagination, but a place that in our hearts we all yearn for. And it's real.
and it's there for those of us who are in relationship with Him. Now, what should a healthy church therefore be doing? We should be teaching this truth that Jesus is God, He's the only way to heaven, that He died on the cross for us, that He rose from the grave, and that if we embrace Him as Lord and Savior, recognizing that we can't do it on our own, that by grace He will accept us, He will bring us in, He will adopt us as His children, and then we become part of His household, the church. See the full circle there? That's the message. So we as a church ought to be teaching what we're talking about right now. But we also ought to be encouraging you to tell others at work, at school. I was telling my wife, we were talking about this, Karen and I were talking after the um, movie. I was thinking, man, I, I need to be more bold. I miss being in the ed- cutting edge. I remember when I was in college, every day was an opportunity to tell some people about Jesus Christ. Sometimes they were receptive, sometimes they weren't, but it was fun. And that opportunity isn't, doesn't present itself as much. I encourage you, if it's at work or at school, you're, if you're in a place where you are around people that don't know the Lord, you're in the middle of the action. And take those opportunities to lovingly tell people about your relationship with Christ and marvel when their lives change. So many people really do want to hear the, the Word of God. And, and if you ever have a fun thing to bring me in on, think about me. I'm willing to speak someplace or come in, meet people at work or whatever. I'd love to, to do that and hang out with you. Randy, I'm going to go to the fire station. We've been talking about that one of these days because I, I love that kind of stuff. It's fun to be around people who don't know the Lord and just befriend them and enjoy them, whether they come to know the Lord or not, and have the opportunity at some point, in many cases, to tell them about the Lord. We want to make that more possible for you. So one of the things that we're doing as a church is, as um, we've talked a little bit about this before, but pray for us because we want to put these local, uh, our local outreach, get that going more. Uh, what a lot of times churches will do, we, we want to train you how to share your faith more, and we'll do that more through small groups, but a lot of times churches will, will come up with some ideas about what you ought to do, and then we'll send money to those people. But what we'd like to do is for you to tell us what you want to do. What are you already doing? And what we need to do, we want to have partners in ministry, but in order to do that, we need to figure out what we're looking for to make sure they're qualified and what we're looking for in terms of what kind of organizations we would let in. We just can't do everything. And we want to get that started. So we're, Clifton and I have been actually working on a, a covenant together that the other guys are going to edit, and we're going to put that together. And hopefully by the end of the year, we can get something started where you guys can be actually starting your ministries within you know, to the community within our church and partnering with us to reach Oakdale and beyond. We're praying about that, figuring out exactly how that works out. The other thing that we need to do is we need to do missions, right? Do you know that there are millions of people who have never, ever heard the word Jesus? Can you believe that? Millions of people that are unreached around the world who don't know, or maybe they've heard it, but they don't know what it means. They've never heard the message. We think, oh, our country has so much. We, you know, our country has its problems. We didn't take care of our country. We do, but there are people that have never heard the message of Jesus. They're at this point, you know, they, they don't have, heaven is not even a reality for them yet. They, not even something they've even heard of before. So what are we going to do about that? You know, we say that we ask you to, to give us 10% of your income. We take 10% of our income, the salary that we make, and we give it back to the church. And then we take that church and we take 10% of that and we give it to people that need to hear the gospel 
who we can't reach on our own. Because we can pray for them, we can visit them, but in order to send people, we have to pay to send them. And so we're raising money in that regard. And we got together with Bruce Camp, who's a well-known church states, uh, you know, missionary statesman, and, he's, and, he's, uh, and a consultant. We sat down, we came up with some ideas about things we could do. And we said, what if every year we tried to add 1% of our giving to missions? What if we got to the point where we were giving 20% of our giving to missions? Isn't that crazy? Isn't that insane? This church is insane. Oh, I can't believe that we even started this thing. It's amazing. But, we, but that's when it gets exciting, when we believe God for the impossible. And not that it's for this reason only, but it's amazing to me that when you honor God with your giving, God honors you. It's amazing. The churches I've known that have been the, most, the healthiest churches are the churches that usually give the most to missions and to, to needs like that. So we're thinking about, okay, so out of that original 10%, 60% goes to missionaries. We figured we could probably support three missionaries. This is you guys with the money you're giving us, three missionaries. And we want these missionaries to take care of people's needs, to tell them about Christ, to be involved with churches, and ideally be places where we can send some of you to go over on short-term trips to help them. Um, so we're thinking about that. We want at least two of them to be to unreached people groups, to groups where nobody ever hears the word. We want to try to see who those people are going to be. So we're praying. We want you to pray that we can find those missionaries. And then 20% of that, we want to give to special projects. We found out that there are like pastors that are impoverished and they have micro businesses that they start. Maybe they're selling coffee or whatever, and that enables them to, to serve their church. Or maybe there's somebody who needs a church building to be built, and we can send some people down there. Like Arlie, I was talking to Arlie Fast you know, to Ron Weather, all some of these contractor guys, they go down there and others can go down and build buildings for them or help them out and we can financially help that. Another 20% would be our discretionary fund. How about when there's a typhoon, there's an emergency and we can send money to help it as a church? Or what if, you know, we, we have a gift that we want to give to a special missionary that's in need? Or what if we want to send myself or one of the other pastors overseas to find out more about something and come back and report on it or just to go over and encourage our missionaries? Or maybe something else. Does that get exciting for you? Because you know why? That's you. That's what you are doing with the money you give. Just through giving your money, it gets channeled in that kind of way. And we're able to touch so many lives. So those are the things that we're trying to do to, to make sure that we're sharing the gospel abroad. So you, you tie all this stuff together. And what does a healthy church look like? A healthy church... A healthy church follows the instructions of what a church is supposed to be like based on the Bible. It isn't, you know, there's a lot of variety that churches can have, but it gets down to teaching what the Bible teaches. And a healthy church upholds the truth of the Bible, the truth of Scripture. And in, not only in what it says, but in how it practices it. And a healthy church tells people about Jesus Christ both in the community and in the world. We want to be that kind of healthy church. You want to be part of our healthy church? How do you become a part of a church? Where you start, you know how you become part of a church basically? You give your life to Jesus Christ. When you come into a relationship with Jesus, you are now part of the family. And so we encourage you to do that. We've talked about that today. On March 23rd, we're going to have a potluck at the Wagner Ranch. You're all invited as usual. We'll do it right after church. If anybody wants to be baptized, anybody is interested in coming to know Christ, 
uh, come and tell me afterwards today or email or call us, and we would love to have you be part of that. So uh, let's be praying for our church that we'll be a healthy church, all right? Join me in a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of being part of your family. And thank you that you're the one who calls us into a relationship with yourself. We're just overwhelmed by what Jesus has done. When we stop and think about it, uh, we talk about it and it becomes almost flippant. But when we stop and really meditate on what Jesus did, how he died on the cross and he rose from the grave for us, how we can be in a relationship with you, how we can call one another brother and sisters because we literally are, that we're, from your perspective, adopted heirs of your kingdom, princes and princesses, and will one day live with you and reign with you forever in heaven. What a privilege that is. Wouldn't we want to tell everybody? And I pray that we would be more bold yet sensitive, but telling people about how they can come into your kingdom and uh, be part of this family. And so we pray for your guidance in these things and pray for anybody that doesn't know you that they would, even this day, come to know you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.